God does that for the Israelites here in Leviticus chapter 23. Because in Leviticus chapter 23, as he goes through the seven feasts and festivals, and eighth if you count the Sabbath, which is the first one that's introduced, you will see that in these various feasts and festivals, he's telling them to do a variety of things, depending upon which feast you're looking at. If it's the Feast of First Fruits, he says, I want you to get the barley. If it's the Feast of Shavuot, weeks, or Pentecost, he says, this is the wheat harvest. If it's Sukkot, the Feast of Booths, he says, I want you to gather up twigs, branches, fruits would be good. Now, here's the problem. At the time that God is saying this to these people here in Leviticus, they can't get any of these things. Why? Because they're still in the desert. They won't be able to do any of these things until they enter into the Holy Land. So why is God telling them to do something now that they can't do yet? Because he's telling them in advance so they can prepare. Let's see what God tells the people in Leviticus 23, verses 26 through 32, about his advance notice on how he wants the people to celebrate the Day of Atonement when they go into the Holy Land. Now, I'm not going to read the, the, the verses word for word for you, but um, let me just say that in these verses, God says a couple of things. Uh, number one, he says, uh, this, this is the, um, uh, <clears throat> the tenth day of the seventh month, the month of Tishrei. And on this day, I want you to uh, gather together as a sacred assembly. I don't want you to do any work. I want you to deny yourselves. Oh, by the way, also don't do any work. Bring me a fire offering. Did I mention deny yourself? And oh, by the way, in case you didn't hear me the first time, don't do any work. This is a sacred assembly, a Sabbath for you. By the way, uh, you might want to deny yourselves. And another thing, don't do any work. Now, folks, I'm not exaggerating these verses. God says three times in verses 26 through 32 to deny yourselves. And he says three times in these same verses not to do any work, which naturally begs the operative question. Why does God say those things three times? Well, there are a couple of answers for that. The first answer is, uh, look who he's dealing with. <laughs> I mean, the Lord has already told you that this is a stiff next people they don't get it the first time how do we know they don't get it the first time because in the book of exodus when they were at mount sinai they told god guess how many times three times god whatever you tell us to do we will do did they get it no so god is now going to remind them three times and hoping that they will get it you see how that works now, what does it mean to deny yourselves? And why did God want the people to deny themselves? Well, it means, and we, we have the understanding, that denying yourself means to take a fast. Okay, but why do we fast? What purpose do we fast? Well, what happens to us when we fast? Eventually, sooner or later during our fast, our entire focus and our entire attention goes on whom? Him. And so he, God, is the only one that we're focusing on. Plus, if we're not doing any regular work, then we can't kind of occupy ourselves during the fast and say, you know, I'm, uh, gee, I'm really hungry, but let me do something to forget that I'm hungry. Uh, let me go plow the fields. You can't do that either. God said you are to focus on me and me alone on this particular Day of Atonement. That's why he calls it a Sabbath in these verses, a date day with God, just you and God and nothing else allowing to interfere. Everybody with me on that? Yeah. The purpose of focusing on God and God alone was so that the people could enter into a state of holiness with him. 
Because, indeed, in this same book, a couple of chapters earlier, in Leviticus 19.2, God said, I want you to be holy, for I am holy. Our holiness comes from our total devotion and focus on God. And in those days, there was an interesting ingredient to that, of course, the ingredient of sacrifice. And when the people eventually got into the Holy Land, on the 10th day of the month of Tishrei, when that day came, it was a big, big day in the land because this was the day that your sins would be forgiven. All of the sins that you had committed the prior year would be wiped out in a matter of just this one day. And here's what you had to do. You had to go out among your fields and among your flocks and find an animal that meant something to you, an animal that you might ordinarily use for food. This animal had value to your family so that it would truly be a sacrifice because indeed a true sacrifice on our part is giving up something that we care about, not giving up something that doesn't mean anything to us. Amen? So the people would have to give up an animal. The family would give up an animal that meant something to them. This animal would have to be without spot, without mark or blemish, perfect in every single way. The family would bring this bull or this ram or this goat to the priest at the tabernacle, and I want you to try and put yourself in their place because this is the one day when everybody is doing it which means that as you, yes you, are walking and moving closer and closer to the tabernacle in the wilderness, you are first of all smelling what is going on because there is an aroma of a stench of hundreds if not thousands of animals being sacrificed right there and the blood running through the streets. This is not a pretty sight. You get to the tabernacle, the priest sacrifices your bull, your goat or ram, burns the fat of the offering on the sacrificial altar, takes the blood from that animal and goes into the most holy place, the inner tent. And this was the only day of the year that the high priest was allowed to do that. This was also a day when the high priest wore a different uniform than he usually would. Many of you have seen pictures and illustrations of what the high priest looked like in ancient biblical times. Really colorful, isn't it? You have, you know, the blue and the purple and the, uh, uh, the, uh, the white and the red and, of course, the breastplate with all of the 12 different colors, obviously, of the jewels or the tribes on it. Not so today. On Yom Kippur, the priest wore a white robe. It's called a kittle. Some of you are taking notes. K-I-T-T-E-L. And it was only on this one day and this day alone that the priest could go into the most holy place, taking the blood from the animal that was sacrificed and sprinkling it on the mercy seat of the Ark of the Covenant or the cover of the Ark of the Covenant. And the reason that I emphasize the word cover is because while this festival is called the Day of Atonement and the Hebrew of it is called Yom Kippur, Yom Kippur does not translate to Day of Atonement. It translates to Day of Covering. This is the day that your sins were covered. It's almost like God saying, that's all right, I got you covered. But being covered was not good enough. Here's why. Let's say you run and you fall and you, you have an injury. You injure your knee. And so what you do is you take a Band-Aid and you put it over the injury. Now, if you have the Band-Aid on, nobody can see the injury anymore, right? But it's still there. The, the injury hasn't gone away. The scab is still there. It's just been covered. Wouldn't it be great if that injury could be totally eradicated? But that wasn't possible in those days because the blood from sacrificial animals can only cover the sins of the people. By the way, when the high priest went into the most holy place, 
there's a story. We know that it's legend, but it's an interesting story, and you may want to hear about it anyway. The fact of the matter is that on the bottom of the priest's robe, and this is the true part of it, were intertwined bells and fabric pomegranates. Exodus, the book of Exodus, talks about that. And so whenever the priest would move inside the most holy place and he'd walk, the junior priests outside, if you will, would hear the clanging of the bells. Now, here's the story that has yet to be authenticated, and we'll know if it's the truth when we get to heaven. But the rabbis of old said that when this high priest went into the most holy place, he had a rope either turned, uh, tied around his waist or tied around one of his ankles. And that rope extended way, way out of the most holy place, through the outer courtyard, out of the door of the tabernacle, and way, way outside where the other priests were waiting. Because the thought was this. If the high priest himself had gone into the most holy place and he, in his own life, had sinned, God would strike him dead right then and there. And then we had a little problem because he couldn't get out. And the junior priests, they weren't allowed in. So how do we get him out? pull the rope. And that's where the story came from. But it gets better. After the high priest came out of the most holy place and had sacrificed the animal and sprinkled the blood on your family's behalf, you're now cleansed. You're taken care of. Your sins are covered and you are good for a whole nother year. Isn't that great? Except for one thing. This particular system was working really fine until the year 70 when Rome came in and, as you know, destroyed the Second Temple in Jerusalem. And when that happened, the people had a little bit of a problem. And they had a little bit of a problem because, obviously, they still, each and every year, wanted atonement and forgiveness of their sins. But since the only place they could sacrifice the animals was in the Holy Temple, there was no more Holy Temple, so now we can't sacrifice any more animals. So what in the world are we going to do? And, of course, they turned to their rabbis. And as you well know, the rabbis, of course, said, well, we have a lot of different opinions, so let's just pick one. After all, we're five rabbis. No problem coming up with 20 opinions. It'll be multiple choice, whatever you want. So the rabbis said, here's what we'll do. Uh, we'll look at Leviticus 23, verses 26 through 32, just like all of you have this morning. And um, we will do from those verses what we're still able to do. And what we can't do, we won't be able to do. Let's see. Sacrifice animals, no, can't do that anymore. Fire offering, that was good. We liked that. We lit the incense in the fire pan. The aroma went up, had a real cool smell to it. Can't do that anymore. There's no temple. Deny yourself? Yeah, we can still do a fast. We can do that. Do no work? Yeah, we can still do that. Uh, regard this day as a day of rest, a Sabbath, spending it just with the Lord and getting together as a sacred assembly to worship him? Yeah, we can do that. And for the last 2,000 years, Jewish people have been doing that. And of course, Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement, starts sundown tomorrow night, where, as many of you, I'm sure, already know, Jewish people who don't yet know Yeshua will be going to their synagogues and their Temple Beth Israels and Temple Kolami and repenting of their sins and fasting for the 24 hours and not doing any work. And at the end of the 24 hours, they will conveniently have come to the conclusion that God has forgiven them of their sins. Isn't that convenient? It's nice to have an outcome when you're the one who decides what the outcome is going to be. Here's what the Jewish people didn't know. God prepared them in advance in the wilderness not only to observe the feast and festival once they got into the Holy Land, but, but 
when the temple was destroyed, God had still prepared them in advance in terms of sacrifice. Because 40 years before the temple was destroyed, God had already taken care of the sacrifices for them. In the once and for all sacrifice of Yeshua. He's our Yom Kippur. And guess what? He's not just the sacrifice. Uh, he's also the tabernacle. And he's also the high priest. Isn't that great? So in taking care of the sacrifice, God said, I'm going to do better than that. I'm going to give you three in one. He's going to handle it all.